Welcome to New Caribbean Voices, People Tree Press's literary podcast, featuring the best literature from the Caribbean region and diaspora. My name is Malaika Booker, and I am the curator and host for this podcast series. This is an unusual episode of New Caribbean Voices podcast. Today, we are collaborating with Stanza 2021, Scotland's International Poetry Festival to present Past and Present, where we have two poets speaking about poets who are no longer with us, who've passed on into the other life and their influence on them. It's extraordinary that we have Nia Queer Parks and Winston Monica Magnot speaking about the poets Kamal Braithwaite and Atukwe Akai. I am also, my name is Malaika Booker, and I'm also going to be speaking about Louise Bennett. So we move across the diaspora from writers from Ghana to Barbados to Jamaica in this episode. The first guest I'm going to speak to is Nia Kwe Park. He's a 2007 recipient of Ghana's ACRAG Award. Nia's a writer who works across genres, from picture books to stage plays. His most translated work is the acclaimed hybrid novel, Tale of the Blue Bird, and his most recent books are the poetry collection, The Gaze, from People Tree Press, a UK poetry book society recommendation, which was long listed for the Rathbones Folio Prize, and The Gar Picture Alphabet, a foundational book in his native language. And Nee will be speaking to us about the Barbadian writer Kamal Braithwaite and the Ghanaian writer Atuke Okai. Right. Hi, Ni. It's such a pleasure to speak to you. Um, we have come a long way. We started out writing together um, eons ago and you published my first pamphlet, um, Bread, um, Breadfruit, on Fliptide Publishing. And now we share the same publisher, um, People Tree Press, um, and you've the latest book that you've published, The Gaze. Um, and now we're here to speak about poets who have influenced you. It's so nice to speak to you. Always a pleasure to speak to you, Malaika. Um, and when I reflect on how long we've known each other, you know, um, <clears throat> it's enough for somebody to have been born and had a child. <laughs> That's how long we've known each other. <laughs> that is some years. <laughs> Um, so it's always wonderful to talk to you. And it also means that we've been through a few generations of poets um, <clears throat> that um, would have influenced our work. So it's great to speak to you on this subject. So uh, let's start. How did your relationship with your, with, with your mentors start? What, 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 what started it all? Let's start there. Let's start at the beginning of that journey. Um, so my mentor at Okaim was possibly the most famous poet in Ghana because we have a tradition of having poets at state events. Um, this started during Nkrumah's time. It vanished for a while. And then when Jerry Rollins came into power, that returned. So Atuka Yokai was often seen on TV um, reading in response to some event. He was a kind of unofficial poet laureate. And he was an enchanted man, a very charismatic figure. And so I knew him from TV, but also my father owned his books. And there was one called Logoligi Logarithms. 
as you can hear, it's a bit of a mouthful. It's uh, <laughs> it's um, alliterative and it's also playful with language. So logoligi in Ga means um, a kind of twisted way to get to something, but it also means tickling. And logarithms, of course, is English for you know solving mathematical equations. So there's a whole play of language and words in there, and that's my first connection. And so when I decided to write, I literally walked into his office at the University of Ghana and asked him for his opinion on my work. That is how our relationship started. And he was generous enough to listen. And I suppose what I'd like to ask you now is, 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 is how, did that, how, did, how did he mentor you? You know, what, what was that relationship like? He mentored me in a way that actually really suits my temperament, which is to say that um, he didn't try to tell me what to do. He gave me bits of advice. So one of the things he said to me is, you know, you've got to keep producing whether anyone's publishing you or not. So when people come, you're ready. And so what that does is it makes you produce work and share it with whoever's around and not to feel like you have to keep it under a bed. Um, he also often pointed out people that I should read, like he did with Kamal Brathwaite, um, like he did with um, a couple of... Um, Nigerian writers, Femi Fioson, um, yes, I mean, several Nigerian writers pointed me also back to the wider works of some Ghanaian writers like Amata Edu, who I knew for her plays. Um, he pointed me to some, some of her poetry and her fiction. So, yeah, just um, recommending stuff and talking to me. I mean, you could never have a conversation that was less than 20 minutes with Atukwe, even if you just dropped in to see him and his, his range was expansive. He was a Pushkin scholar. He studied in Russia. He knew the work of Pushkin intimately. So he talked about language and its possibilities and even the world and its possibilities. He was a very magnanimous, very generous man. And I think the mentorship was more in the way of expanding the way in which you viewed the world rather than anything specifically to do with writing. And I really appreciated that. And. Tell me about Kamal then. How did Kamal then come to be an influence? And um, and then, you know, tell me anything that you wanted to... And then after that, tell me anything you want to say about both of them and how the interaction with them kind of influences your work. If you want to share any work by them, you're welcome to as well. Well, thanks for that. Yes, I mean, I would love to share little bits of their work. I mean, so Atukwe, like I said, pointed me to many people, but one of the people that he pointed me to that really resonated in the sense that the work was also similar to Atukwe's in a way because, um, and I connected because both of them have something that reminds us that poetry was first spoken. Um, anything that's written was first spoken. Any form that exists was written and then theorized. And I, I, I think that reminder is really important for us as writers constantly and I think that their work does that. Um, I'm going to read a little excerpt from um, Kamal Brathwaite's Negus, um, if that's okay. And then I'll also read a little excerpt from Atukwe Okai's Petekpele um, Serenade, um, which is Petekpele um, again. So this is the thing that I was talking about with his, the title of his book, the title of the poem also plays with both languages. Serenade, we know. Petekple in Ga is like fireworks or little stars. Um, 
Um, so it's like a serenade of little stars or a serenade of fireworks. And um, it, it, it's that kind of interaction of a language which we predominantly knew as spoken growing up. And, you know, English, which we knew as written um, primarily. And it was a language of instruction for us. And then with Kamau, it's how he reconstructs English to give it its heartbeat. Um, yeah, so if, if that's fine with you, I will read from both of those. From Negus. It, it, it is not, it, it, it is not, it is not, it is not, it is not enough. It is not enough to be free of the red, white, and blue of the drag of the dragon. It, 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 it is not, it is not, it is not enough. It is not enough to be free of the whips, principalities, and powers. Where is your kingdom of the word? It, 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 it is not, it, 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 it is not. It is not, it is not, it is not, it is not enough. It is not enough to be free of malarial fevers, fear of the hurricane, fear of invasions, crops, drought, fires, blistered upon, blisters upon the cane. It, it, it is not, it is not, it is not, it is not, it is not enough. It is not enough to tinkle to work on a bicycle bell when hell crackles and burns in the 14-inch screen of the Jap, of the Jap, of the Japanese constructed United Fruit Company imported hard cell telltale television set, rhinoceros cobbled, ca cancerously chewed. It, 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 it is not, it is not, it is not, it is not, it is not enough. It is not enough to be able to fly to Miami, structure skyscrapers, excavate the moonscape seashore sands to build hotels, casinos, sepulchres. It is not enough. It is not, it is not, it is not enough. It is not enough to be free to bulldoze God squatters from their tunes, from their relics, from their tombs of drums. It is not enough to pray to Barclays bankers on the telephone, to Jesus Christ by shortwave radio, to the United States Marines by rattling your hip bones. I'll stop there in the middle of Kamal's because it's interesting that it ends on United States, given what I am going to share from Atukwe Spetekle Serenade. So this is Atukoyokan, Petekle Serenade. It's also an excerpt. Make room in your inn for me. I know when Karl Marx grabbed his bibliography and ball pen and pocketed his toothbrush and his shaving stick, he went and bought a ticket to London. When Gandhi girded his loincloth, it was London he had in mind. When Lenin fled his beloved motherland, his final haven crash pad was London. But America. Your address book too has memories that yield the names of Von Braun and Charles Dickens and Marcus Garvey and Amerigo Vespucci and Christopher Columbus who boarded the wrong bus and Maxim Gorky and Mayakovsky and Uncle Einstein and Mr. Carnegie and Rockefeller. Even your ports recalling Report how the Mayflower moved in to deflower at night the virgin land of the Red Indians. Jesus Christ, it seems, and Judas did not make it. America, you are a funny girl. Everybody dreams of kissing you. And that's it, okay. Oh, wow. It so feels as if they're both in conversation with each other. Um, a Tukwe. Um, it feel it it really feels. I feel like they're sitting down right now somewhere, just conversing, poetic, both kind of deconstructing colonialism, deconstructing language, 
um, both interacting with, you know, with the um, the Western powers that be. And um, yeah, fantastic, Ni. The last thing I want to ask you, Ni, is when you when you when you're looking back at the gaze, the book that you have out now, can you see is there are there influences these these great ancestors of ours, these literary ancestors? Are there influences in your writing, in your work? Do they have that same kind of conversation with you in your own work? Um, are they on your shoulders? Are you paying homage to them? Are you trying to continue their lineage? How How is your liberty with them? That's a really good question. Um, I think one of the great things about mentors or the ways in which mentors can be great influences is when their influence is on mindset and not necessarily content directly, but giving you a way to approach the, the world in the way they did, but with your own vocabulary. And I think I certainly see that. Um, I have a, a poem in um, the gaze called Ballad for Western Girls Who Want the Rainbow. Um, I also have a poem called Kentri um, Akashe, which is a guard title. So again, you know, um, Atukwe's influence is clear there. Um, and I think both of them are in these two poems in different, to different degrees in these two poems. And since they're in conversation, um, I think their influences intertwine. I mean, I can share from these poems if, if we have the time for it. So let me know. If you could share a little bit and then I think we'll end there. I think it's apt that we kind of talk about them and then we hear the influences on you to end. Wonderful. I'll be happy to do that. So from um, Ballad for Western Girls, I'm just going to read in the final two stanzas so you can hear um, that music. And for Kentri Akashwe, I will read somewhere from the middle, um, if that's okay. So, except from Ballad for Western Girls Who Want the Rainbow. Those headlines you get that label boys as men and men as boys and boys as scourges mark them out as threats by sly leans of language. You know that's truth bent. You've seen these men's tears. But come crunch time, you still see what you've been taught, what you desire. Their bodies, those vessels with shades of darker for skin, with muscle, with muscle, with muscle within, with muscle, with muscle, with muscle and sin. And you forget the epicardium, its sublayers, the spaces it cradles within, its pockets of fear. And this is from Kentri Akashwe. Ojotralo. My heart burns for you like Bakoshito, spreading jealous green in the ripeness of my heart. Add not salt to my pain. Kentri Akashwe. Kaima fofoin in the smiles we shared over Ngai's spat crackle, the songs we sang together, voices as warm as water in a good brown. Already past language, violating taboos as we shared Komi Keshito with man. Oh my goodness, thank you very much, Ni. I, I feel like we could have gone on and spoken about these two great poets. Um, what's really interesting, you know, it's been speaking to you about legacy and influence and permission and liberty and how, you know, these um, poets live on in your work, how you're in conversation with them. But I'm quite emotional because I'm thinking about them in conversation with each other, writing 
you know, poems in the afterlife. And I'm also thinking about them, you know, at your altars or when you're writing at that desk, the desk is an altar and you write in and them kind of guiding you and inspiring you even from, you know, the afterlife. So Ashe, thank you very, very much. This has been a really beautiful conversation um, about a Tukwe Akwai and um, Kamal Braithwaite. Uh, thank you for having me. And and I mean, the way you think about it, I'm, I'm actually emotional right now um, thinking about it because the desk is an altar. And, and this is where we make sure that the ancestry that we have isn't forget forgotten, you know, because it very, very often happens in the West that our work is studied and theorized and the people from home that have influenced us are not talked about where compared to some abstract, you know, people dead white men um when we do formal work it has to come from something that's western it can't come from the songs that we sang um or the jokes that we played deconstructing language and i really feel like part of our work is doing that um so it, i mean always beautiful to share with you and you have this ability to kind of tap into my emotional well <laughs> so thank you thank you for having me Winsome Monica Minot is a poet and chartered accountant. Her first collection, Kumina Queen, was published by People Tree Press in 2016. Her second collection, Zion Roses, is forthcoming from People Tree um, in March, March the 25th, so it's going to be hot off the press. Um, Winsome is an award winning writer. She was awarded first prize in the inaugural Small Acts Poetry Competition. And her entry entitled Spirits was named in the top 10 entries for the Holic Arvon Caribbean Writers Prize 2015. She's received two awards in Jamaica's National Book Development Council annual literary competitions for book length collections of her poetry and has been published in publications like the Squaw Valley Review, BIM Magazine and Coming Up Hot, which is an anthology of poems featuring eight emerging poets from the Caribbean. But the most exciting news now is that her poetry book, her next collection, Zion Roses, is forthcoming from People Tree Press um, on March the 25th, 2021. Hi, it's my pleasure today to be um, speaking to Winsome Monica. And Winsome is a, a freshly published People Tree writer. Her book is coming out later on um, this year. And we are going to be talking about the poets or poet or poets that have inspired her who have passed on, who are no longer with us. Uh, Winsome, hello. Tell us about your, your book. Um, tell us about yourself as a writer, first of all. Let's in be introduced to you. I'm Winsome Monica Minot. I have been writing for about 15 years and Seriously, they say I should not say seriously because what I consider it is that I, I devoted much time and attention. So when I say seriously, that's what I mean. I have one book previously published, Kumina Queen, which drew all the attention of many persons to my writing. I was always fascinated as a youngster with poetry in high school. And I just developed a passion for it. 
but life took different turns and I became a chartered accountant and it's a 14 hour a day job. So I also I became a mother and I had a family to look after. So I sort of just concentrated on earning some money to pay the bills and to look after my family and I put aside my passion. But later on in life, I, I, I was challenged by someone to, to, to discover my passion and I really started thinking what it is that I love, that I want to do, that I was not doing. And, and the only thing that I could come up with was poetry. I really love to write and to, in particular like to write poetry. So I went back to the, my books and my pencils and, and I just started writing again. And then I, I decided I didn't know if I was doing anything that made sense. So I asked a few persons, Sheila Garcia Bisnot, which was my high school teacher, and she directed me to Professor Mervyn Morris, who was very instrumental at the beginning of encouraging talent. And then I met Professor Edward Ball, who really thought that I had talent. And I, I really just, after that, took the real pen and paper to a different level. So here I am today, and I have Zion Roses coming out. And it is, it's really a historical journey for me because I believe that we have lost our voices in many ways. We who are persons in the Caribbean, who are descendants of slaves, who have suffered so much loss in so many different ways, we have lost not just homeland and ancestry, but even in the fact that we have not been given a chance to express ourselves as we would want to. It's where it is, I think, that my passion has taken me, and I'm writing about exile, I'm writing about recovery of voice, I'm writing about reconnecting and re-educating our people in the Caribbean. So that, I think, is my introduction. Winsome, that's great. And, and as we're talking about um, recovery and ancestry, I'd like to ask you, um, and it's really interesting because the other writer that I interviewed today was me, and he spoke a lot about mentoring and mentorship. But I'd like to ask you, who is the writer that really influenced you, that you're bringing to the table today? Tell us about, about that writer, how you met them, and how they influence you. Well, as I said before, I mentioned two persons who are living, but a person who is no longer with us, is Kamau Brathwaite. And, and the strange thing about Kamau Brathwaite and the relationship I have with Kamau Brathwaite is I met him not physically, but I met him through my sister who was his student at the University of the West Indies when I was in high school, very like a first form or so. And she would come home excited about the work she was doing with Kamau and all the, the, the historical uh, material that he was carrying to them and, and sharing with them. And I, that's, that's, that's where I met Kamau first. So I was always interested in Kamau Brathwaite's work, but it was an indirect connection. So it is even more remarkable, I would say, that when I started studying poetry and I met Kamau, what I felt about Kamau and myself 
is that we had a connection, not because of my sister, Dr. Jacqueline Anderson, but rather because of how he, he, he saw the world, the vision of the world, and that he believed that we need to recover the voices that have been lost. We need to re-educate. We need to re-baptize. We need to go back to our fundamental traditions, the traditions of our forefathers. And I believe that with that in mind, I started looking at the history of that my father, who came from Spring Hill, Portland, and the journey he took down the river to Kingston, eventually, going through St. Mary, where he met my mother and got married, and eventually coming to Kingston. But that journey was away from a coffee, a coffee farm, and he thought that the journey to Kingston would make him better. Although he was a, a, a pupil teacher, they called it, in Spring Hill, he still rejected the countryside. He rejected what the countryside represented and thought Kingston would be better, which it turned out not to be better for him. So, and then, this is, these, are, these are the complexities. My father's uh, father, fa well, great-grandfather maybe, he, he, he is associated in some way with the Maroons. In the book of the true-born Maroons, you will find Minot appearing several times. And whereas I cannot form a concrete relationship, I believe just by the appearance of my father and his father and his, his father's father, my grandparents, they, they definitely look like the Maroons. So I'm sure there's a Maroon connection in my family line. And because of that, I started studying the Maroons and the life of Nanny and how it is the strength of Nanny has passed down through the female members of my family because I consider that we are very strong in the face of adversity. So here it is, Kamau's work led me in that journey that I am on in terms of, of uh, finding my, my ancestral roots, which are in some way connected to the Maroons. Of course, I'm a Jamaican. So, you know, there's so much complexity in, in family history. Because on the other side, my mother, there is, there is I believe, the Tainos or is the Carib Indians. And I also believe, well, we definitely have a link, her 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 grandfather actually was a Scottish planter who came to the Caribbean and set up a, a plantation and he actually was was married and didn't well his wife wasn't there apparently and he went he got along with my my great grandmother so this is the story i have i have fashioned some of it is faction as wayne brown would say which is really fact and fiction melded together. So here we are. I am going back in history. I'm, I'm looking at the fundamentals. What is it that we lost? What is it that we have gained? What is it that we need to recover? What is it that we need to pass down to our children, our grandchildren, so that we can connect, reconnect with fundamental traditions of our forefathers? So, so come out in that way, his spirit 
his spirit of, of not just rejecting what the Europeans taught to, to our people when they came, the English, the voice of the, of the English-speaking poets, not just to reject it, but to say we have something of ourselves that, that is better for us. It may not be better for them, but it is certainly better for us because this hybrid language that we have created over the ages is a language, though, that is resonating in my spirit. It's a language that says, I am who I am, and I don't have to follow. I do not have to pattern. I can speak my truth freely. I can speak it in the language in which I have grown up, but also to understand the English language well enough to break away from it if I so choose to do. And that is the position I am now taking. Wow, that, that, that's absolutely fascinating. I just, I was so engrossed in what you were saying. Um, and it feels like what you're saying is, is Kamal gave you the permission to unearth, to resurrect, um, to escape, to, to navigate, to, um, to, to find yourself in the landscape and the richness of the history. Um, and, 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 and finally, to do that as a poet, obviously, to, in order to do that and explore that, we have to come back to this kind to language and, 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 and understand that this hybridity of language that, that is our legacy is, is, kind of, um, is kind of fundamental to our shaping of our poetics. Um, I think that's, that, that, that's fascinating. When you're writing now, um, Kamal has left us, um, and you know, within the Caribbean, we have a, a, a way that we kind of honor the, 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 our ancestors. Um, in a way, we, we, I, I was talking to, to me, Akria Parks, earlier about the desk kind of being an altar. How does, does Kamal appear in any way in that altar, in that desk, in, that, in the ritual of writing? Um, is there any way he impacts your work? The, literate, the, the actual practice of your work? And then is there any poems of him that you want to share that kind of can, can show that root or a poem of yours that you can share and talk to that kind of shows that root or that engagement and that conversation with Kamal? Yes, thank you for that. Yeah, Kamal, more recently, I would say, has impacted the style of my writing. And... Again, this indirect relationship with myself and Kamal Brathwe continues because I am now studying Norbese Phillips, and her work is a total radical departure from standard English language. And when I was referencing, the, 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 the best reference I could find for Norbese was Kamal Brathwe. So, this, her, her style of deconstruction, I found that it started with Kamau. She took it to a different place, but his, in the history of the voice, uh, he started, which he called nation language, and he, he was very radical in his thinking, which is why I say I, I share a similar spirit. He said, this is who we should be, and he put nation language on the map. He put nation language out there in the world. And at the time he did it, I am sure he got a lot of pushback, 
a lot of rejection. Oh, what is he saying? We need standard English. This is what the world needs. But he never veered from the course. He recognized that persons who have been transshipped and their, their, gen, their generations that followed, that they were at a disadvantage because it is, first of all, some of the persons never got proper training in terms of education. So their children and their children's children continue not to, to do well in English language. And because of that, it has hampered their growth and eventually their earning power. So you have generations of persons. Uh, Lorna Goodison mentions one, I think it is her housekeeper, and, and her language was such, she loved her housekeeper apparently, but she used this housekeeper and the language that she, 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 how she spoke to show that there was a disconnect between standard English and the housekeeper's language, and so much so, it is some persons would ridicule her, but Lorna was holding her up and saying, this should not be, this is who she is, and we should accept it. So that's how I read that particular poem. Now, I am saying for Kamau and for myself, the departure from standard English is not by chance. His work is replete with breaking away from the standard. He uses X to represent not, to represent no. He, 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 he doesn't have necessarily a standard structure. He will have uh, three lines for, for three line stanzas, then he departs from that and he goes into a main stanza with 10 lines, and his, his radical departure was just where his brain took him. He's saying, I am not necessarily going to conform. I'm going to depart, and I have found that in a similar vein, I am now writing. Like he uses A-L-T-H-O for although, and W-D for would, and he, you know, this is, this is just, I, I can't name everything, but he, it is just his, his work for exact, he has X-A-C-T. And for and, he uses the ampersand. In other words, he uses whatever it is that he believes is the best fit for his poem. So I know that some persons are still not accepting of this. I know persons are still having a hard time, but it is that when I met his work, I just thought that it was the spirit of the work that I received. And in, as I said, in similar vein, I have allowed now my poetic voice to instruct me as to the pathway I should follow. And it is not the same at all as Kamau, but it is the radicalization, I would say, of my structural work that I believe is important in carrying on the tradition of Kamau Rathwe. Uh, in terms of a poem, I have, we're going to have to find it, I have recently got a poem published in um, IC, and it was 
about the arrivals. The title of the poem is Those Who Came After for Kamau Brathwaite. It is, it is a task to arrive after the arrivals. The task carry water to water. We who arrive more like ants close to the ground than like slow horses walking on water. Africans born to the Caribbean, journeying from here to here, outside without mama's milk. Mama forbidden to give baby suck. A rage growing in mama. She suffers teeth deprivation. Catastrophe is no cure word. Mama is on a special journey, assignment. Wet nurse dull babies so they do not die. Her babies can't find warmth. Cut off from trees planted by ancestors. They who travel through the rooms of no return. Rage. You ask about our rage, saying rage makes us inhuman. 70s man rages into outrageous. Maybe the intention was to fashion a new man, not an outrageous wind. Let him find warmth, not add fire to bodies naked under the sun's gaze. Let him crawl out of his island shell to slit the throat of a mountain goat caught in a ticket. We enjoy dinner. He pours the blood in a hole, hoping that it will satisfy earth for another turn, a cycle of planting and reaping. He withdraws from us to hunt alone. He meets his match, time so fleeting. Thank you very much. That was such um, a, a fascinating poem, and, um, and, and you can see the, 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 it's, it's so, such a broad sweep. Um, this podcast has been interesting. It's, it's actually been almost as if the writers involved have been having conversations across with each other. Um, we explore legacy, influence, mentorship, honoring, and also the Deskers altar and who we worship and how they impact on our work. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for thank having you me. For So I know that I'm curator um, and host of this podcast, but today as well, I'm going to come to you as a, a poet and a writer and a People Tree Press author to talk about my favorite poet, Louise Bennett, who hails from Jamaica. When I was a little girl growing up, um, I loved poetry. I loved literature. And on Saturday mornings in Guyana, on the radio, you would hear these two writers, Louise Bennett and Paul Kings Douglas. Louise Bennett was a Jamaican poet and theater maker, and Paul Kings Douglas was a Trinidadian comedian and writer. But I was struck by Louise Bennett. There was something about hearing her do her poetry with the Jamaican um, language, with the la nation language of Jamaica in the vernacular and dialogue. She was really a pioneer for the for the dialect and the language of your country of the Caribbean, um, particularly Jamaica, at a time when most of the poets and most of the writers would adhere into what they call standard English. And I think um, both poets in here mention um, Kamar Braithwaite. I think Kamar Braithwaite and Louise Bennett 
I would put them together in terms of understanding that in order to write poetry and in order to, 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 to um, present and represent Caribbean people through literature, you had, to, you had to imbue yourself in the language. And she is someone who has influenced me as a poet, as someone trying to write and write about the folk, about people, about the everyday people. She collected stories, oral stories um, across the Caribbean. Um, and she is someone who sits on my shoulder, um, who says, treasure your language. It's, 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 it's what makes the language lyrical. It's what complicates the English. And it is what will make your poetry distinctive and also be out of the landscape and the history and the, the soil and the blood and the soul of the people. And one of her poems that I remember um, listening to when I was growing up, um, and we had to learn at school, um, and I won the competition for recitation with, is a poem of hers called Colonization in Reverse. And now we're talking about Windrush a lot. Being in Guyana, I didn't understand about Windrush, but I got the picture of these people from the Caribbean moving to, to England and what was happening for them. So I'm going to give a bit of that poem. Colonization in reverse. What a joyful news, Miss Matty. I feel like my hard guy in boss. Jamaican people colonizing England in reverse. By the hundred and the thousand from country and from town, by the shipload, by the plane load, Jamaica is England bound. Them are poor out of Jamaica. Everybody future plan is forget a big time job and settle in the motherland. What a island, what a people, man and woman, old and young, just a pack them bag of baggage and turn history upside down. Some people don't like travel, but for sure them loyalty. Then I'm open up cheap fare to England agency. And week by week, them shipping off them countrymen like fire for immigrate and populate the seat of the empire. Uno see how life is funny. Uno see the turnabout. Jamaica live for box bread out of English people mouth. For when them catch a England and start play them different role, some are settled down for work and some are settled for the dole. Jen said the dole is not too bad because they pay in she. Two pounds a week to seek a job that suit her dignity. Mr. Jane will never find work at the rate how she da look. For all day she stand upon Aunt Fan Couch, a read love story book. What a devil meant to England. Them face war and brave the worst. But me wondering how them guys stand colonization in reverse. And that is Lewis Bennett, the Jamaican poet. Thank you for listening to New Caribbean Voices, People Tree Press's literary podcast. I'd like to end by thanking our producer, Melody Triumph, the Arts Council of England, and Clarissa Luard Award for their support. Please look out for future episodes of New Caribbean Voices. I'm Malika Booker, and I've been your presenter.